so routine. I don't even sit down. I just start walking. So, uh, um, I uh, I've enjoyed the time that we've uh, that I've had that's been given to me to speak to you, and I hope you have too. Um, and um, I really have, you know, sought the Lord's direction on what I should talk about and stuff. And so I. I I want you to know that um, the things that I have have chosen to talk about is simply because I feel like not only has the Lord spoken to me about it, but uh, He wanted me to share it with you. Uh, so, anyways, today um, uh, I am going to be. Uh, the title of the message is entitled uh, "Fear Not." Uh, I couldn't really decide on a message, but uh, but that's a title that I think that fits with what we're talking about. And uh, today I'm talking about fear and anxiety, uh, and we're going to be primarily looking, at, of course, at multiple passages, but uh, also in uh, Psalm 27. So if you want to have that handy, you're welcome to look up Psalms 27. But joke for the morning, Ben. Um, uh, there's a scientist who came before the Lord uh, one day recently and said, uh, says, you know what? We have figured out how to make a man without you. We don't need you anymore. And so he said, and God laughed, and he says, oh, really? So he, he says, well, you just show me what you got. And so the scientists started to reach down and pick up some dirt, and God said, uh-uh, you get your own dirt. Um, and so anyways... Um, Here's some words of wisdom on fear and anxiety, and I, I'm not to express this to be comprehensive or complete, and there's always more that can be said, but I think this will be give you some food for thought. The unknown coupled with the never expected, and along with the uncertainty of how something might turn out, altogether produces fear and anxiety in your heart. It can be categorized into different types of groupings. There are fears that are related directly to yourself, uh, to your finances maybe, or to your health. Uh, something unknown all of a sudden comes up. You, I know, I remember when my dad went to the doctor uh, about five years ago or so. It was supposed to be a routine checkup, and uh, and all of a sudden the doctor tells him, well, um, Mr. Cole, we're going to schedule you for surgery on either Sunday or Monday whenever I, my schedule is available. And he's like, what? He says, yeah, you're going to have to have a five-bypass surgery. He says, you've got not like 99% blockage in your heart. It's a wonder you're still alive. You haven't had a heart attack and died. Um, and, uh, and that immediately strikes a little bit of fear and anxiety uh, in the heart and in, and in your life. Um, then there are fears that are related to others, your family and friends and things that happen and the things that are going on with them. Uh, can strike anxiety and fear in your life. There are fears to, related to events. Uh, Art just mentioned the rain, and sometimes the people have been, uh, you know, had their houses flooded and stuff. I remember uh, back in 1995 uh, when I lived in Carolina, we had a, uh, the outer bands of a hurricane sweep across the state and brought an immense amount of flood. And there was an apartment complex that I had looked at moving into before uh, when I first got there. And it was a two-story complex, kind of in a little depression area. And after this uh, hurricane came through, I happened to drive by uh, that on Monroe Road. And I looked over there, and it was, it was a two-story complex. But all you could see was the second story because the water was completely all the way to the, to the top of the first level. Uh, it can be completely flooded out, and I and I prayed for those people, but I also thank the Lord that I didn't move there by myself and and suffer that. There are fears uh, related to some people have plane rides or natural disasters, someone breaking into your home that can produce a fear and anxiety into your life, coupled with stress that is added on because of that. Fear can be design, uh, defined. Uh, as a response to flee, fight, uh, flight, freeze from what you see, an apparent danger. Um, the anxiety is a perceived concern over something that could happen, but we don't know. 
the what-ifs of life. Drifting in, someone once said, drifting in through the cracks in the floorboards or filtering, uh, filtering down like a chilling mist, the fog called fear, whispers omens of the unknown and the unseen. Surrounding individuals with its blinding, billowy robe, the creature hisses, what if, what if? One blast of its awful breath transforms saints into atheists, reversing a person's entire mindset. Its bite releases a paralyzing venom in its victim, and it isn't long before doubt begins to dull the vision. To the one who falls prey to this attack, the creature displays no mercy. As we fall, it steps on our face with a weight of a Sherman tank and laughs at our crippled condition as it prepares for another assault. Fear creeps into your life by a dozen different doors. There's the fear of failure. You know, sometimes that can keep people from doing things because God has called you to something, but you're afraid of failing, afraid to try. There's a fear of heights. I have that myself. <laughs> um, I, I, I jokingly laugh. People say, you know, you go to a music park or something, and they say, ride that roller coaster, that big ride and stuff and everything. And I said, no, I don't like heights. You know, I mean, it bothers me to walk on the second floor of something and kind of see over the side. So getting through a roller coaster that's several stories high and, and shooting myself down as fast as I can to the ground is not enticing um, at all. Uh, and, I, and, you know, the old adage of, of, you know, well, you need to face your fears. Well, I've faced it, and I'm afraid, okay? Uh, there's just nothing ever going to convince me that that's something I want to do. Uh, then there's some people have fear of crowds, uh, the fear of disease, um, fear of rejection, fear of unemployment, the fear of what others may say about you. There's a joke that someone once said, we are not what we think we are. We're not even what we think others think we are. We are what we think others think we are. Try to wrap that your mind around that a little bit. Um, then there's the fear of moving away, you know. Um, I, I believe the Lord is leading me, you know, down south. Um, and, and it's best for what my family and what I can see is for, for us. Um, but there's a fear. There's a, because, and there's an anxiety because you don't know exactly what all is entailed and what you're going to do. There's a fear of being yourself. Sometimes, uh, I've got a joke about that, but I'll leave that one alone. Um, there's a fear of buying and selling, you know, sometimes do I buy this home? Do I not? Do I sell? What do I do? Um, there's a fear of the dark. My son has that. A fear of being alone. Lurking in the shadows around every imaginable corner, it threatens to poison your inner peace and outward poise. The bully that it is, the creature relies on scare tactics and surprise uh, attacks. It watches for your most vulnerable moment, then picks the lock that safeguards your security. And once inside, it strikes quickly to transform spiritual muscle into mental mush. The prognosis for recovery is neither bright nor cheery. But most people struggle with anxiety. It's the we don't know exactly what lies ahead or what's out there. The unknown. We allow our mind to wander and begin to presume about what might be, but we don't know. And this is one of the reasons why the Lord says things like in Philippians 4, 6, be what? Anxious for nothing. Okay? Think about that for a second. And while I'll, talk, I'll talk more about it later, so I'm not going to go into the verse too much right at the moment. But Jesus inspired Paul to write, be anxious for nothing. Not just the big things, not the most things, not just certain anxieties or certain fears. It says, be anxious for nothing. In a real sense, though, it's a battle for your mind, which is one reason why Paul was inspired to write in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and he says, and be not conformed to this world, but what? Be you transformed by how? Renewing of your mind. Understand that what goes on in here, and it begins to work, and as it bears conception, as James talks about in regards to sin, as it gives birth, it's conceived in the heart and the mind. 
And once it's taken there, it's only a matter of time before it comes to fruition. And sometimes we can create out of our fear and anxiety so much that we don't know and be so worried about it and so burdened by it that it's crippling and we can't go on. And one of the reasons why Paul says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Fear is an alarm system to keep us from danger. Anxiety, however, is a looming sense of darkness. And if allowed to fester, can become crippling. A couple stories I'll share with you. Um, one, I, I remember listening to Chuck Swindoll talking about one time in this regard. Um, he got a call one time, and uh, it was when his uh, daughters were still in high school, and uh, the school called him and said, uh, you need to come. Um, he says, your daughter has uh, was in cheerleading practice. She was on the top of the pyramid. Somebody lost their balance at the bottom, and she fell, and they've got her immobilized. She can't move. She can't feel her extremities. She could be paralyzed. And the fear and anxiety as a parent that grips your heart when something like happens to your child, uh, there's not much, not many things in this life that are like that. And I remember he goes on and he says when he got there and he hold, held her hand and she's telling him, Daddy, I can't feel my leg. I can't move, you know. And the fear that grips his heart up and, and he tells her one of the things he told her was he said sweetie remember God is still in control now, there's more to that and I won't go into that but that's one of the things that he did tell her then there was the example in 2012 myself I had a house that uh, got broken into and uh, it was just before I got married and uh, and uh, and Toby and the girls were coming up, and I was going to have them live there, and I was going to stay with my dad until we were married, and stuff like that. But I just got broken into, and then I have to tell my wife, or my soon-to-be wife, you know, hey, my house got broken into, you know. Don't know if it's going to happen again. I've got an alarm system. I'm trying to do the necessary precautions. We'll do everything we can, but, you know, this did happen. I wanted you to know. You had to know, right? But the fear and anxiety that can creep into your heart and mind, just something like that. I think of my wife's, my father-in-law, when um, when he got uh, notified that he was going to have cancer, that he had cancer, um, and the way the family, you know, dealt with it at first, and there was a lot of hope, and and uh, and you know, we can tackle this, we can get through this. The Lord will help us get through it, and everything type of mentality, and so far, for a while, it seemed good, you know, and he had surgery, he had uh, cancer under his left arm and, and back here and his back arm and, and his shoulder blade and stuff like that is where it was, that was primarily where they found it, and so they did surgery and removed that, and for a while, we thought, you know, they got it, it's gone, you know, he's going to survive. Um, and less than six months later, we went back to the doctor checkup, and they said it's come back. And this time it's, you know, here, here, you know, and it's just progressing to the point where um, we're not going to have, surgery is not an option anymore, you know. And uh, he went through chemo a little bit and stuff and everything, trying to, to stem it, but it just maybe slowed it down a little bit. So ultimately it took him. He died in July of 2020 uh, from cancer. But the fear and anxiety that goes through the family as well when something like that happens, when you lose a loved one, you know, and it's hard. You hard, you deal with it. Um, but you can't allow yourself to go on living your life scared, can you? You can't let yourself just be paralyzed to the point that you can't function. Life goes on. We're talking in Ecclesiastes, and there's this futility in life that seems to be somewhat cyclical, 
but it just goes on and it's just, you know you plug in different people but it's the same story that seems to repeat itself and it comes back again and we see the futility in this life and the brokenness and the fallenness um and i always know i tell my son you know when he talks about something in this life that that's not quite right uh i, I talk about that passage in romans where it says the whole earth groans you know because of the sin the fallen nature of this world and it's ultimately just going to wear itself down and die. That's what's going to happen in this life. Um, sorry to paint such a glorious picture. But I want you to notice something, though, that Jesus says in one thing. In John chapter 10, verse 10, this verse kind of speaks to this, something that Jesus said. In John 10, 10, says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. If all you ever dwell on is the fear and anxiety that comes into our hearts and minds, it will be crippling. Everything has to change or else we will begin to live as victims, we'll live paranoid, We'll become control freaks, getting alarm systems, bodyguards. Don't go here. Don't do that. It soon can become very crippling. And you can never do enough to bring peace. There's never enough that you can manage to do that it just kind of, oh, okay. I'm okay. No. The cessation of your anxiety never seems to find its way. If you allow fear and anxiety to foster, it will steal your ability to have peace. It will kill your ability to rest. How many sleepless nights have you had because you've been worried about something? And the fear, the unknown, the anxiety that you experienced keeps you from sleeping. I always like that passage in Proverbs that talks about your sleep being sweet. You know, if you ever watch your child, sometimes I, I have to say, I admit, I watch my son when he sleeps sometimes, and I, I see the, just the sweetness of that sleep because he's not thinking about a thing in the world. Or he might be dreaming, he might be laughing his sleep or something or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's not like when you get older and you have all these worries and concerns and the anxieties that creep into your heart and mind. But it will steal your ability to have peace. It will kill your ability to rest. And it will destroy your ability to think properly and move on. Because you can't. You won't be able to. Fear and anxiety have got you wrapped up like a straitjacket tied in the back. And in fact, it can become an obsession, even to the point of like an addiction. You become addicted to that fear or an anxiety and say things to yourself like, I'm not doing enough to the point you have what some have defined as ant or um, automatic negative thoughts. You immediately presume the worst, right? To which I'd say one thing, just a side note, is that Titus 1.15 passage, unto the pure all things are pure, but to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Be careful that you are feeding yourself word of God and a positive thing. Do you remember in Philippians 4 where God says to, to think on good things, right? Positive things. Look in Philippians 4. You need to go ahead and look at that. You don't have to listen to me for a little bit. L read that, okay? <laughs> Philippians 4, okay? Um, but we need to be careful that we are not automatically drifting into the negative. I mean, you ever run across people like that sometimes? No matter what you say, they can they can look at the negative side of things, pessimistic side of things. As Christians, we need to be positive. We need to be looking in a hopeful attitude um, and not one that is negative. Um, but this, this ant or an automatic negative thought spreads over your other relationships as well. Your spouse, your parent, your child, your friends. Before long, you're pulling your shades, shutting your 
setting your alarm, double locking your doors, and you're hearing things at night that aren't there, right? Uh, in, uh, in the academic circles, they describe something like that uh, called the noetic effects of sin. Sin has these things where everything it touches, it seems to just leave its stain and it just spreads, you know, like a cancer. And that's the way sometimes our negative thoughts can be. And our fears, we let our anxiety of what we don't know, the fear of the unknown, just creep and just it just continues to fester and just go over everything to the point that it just consumes our heart and mind. So the question then is, how can I calm my fears and lower my anxiety? Well, look in Psalms chapter 27, and we're going to read the whole chapter, and I'll just come back and comment on it. Psalm 27, and this is a Psalm of David. Verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, what? My heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David begins his psalm there with asking two questions. Whom shall I dread, dread and whom shall I fear? He slams the door in fear's face with this declaration in verse 3. My heart will not fear. Think about that for a little bit. Do the study on that and see kind of the context behind this passage. But David had reason to be afraid. There was a lot of anxiety that could have gripped and crippled him if he'd allowed it to do so. But he focuses my heart and mind on the Lord and not on his circumstances and not on his fears and not on his anxiety. And he says, whom shall I dread? Whom shall I fear? My heart will not fear. Notice here in, in verse 4, he basically says a prayer. He says, I have asked from the Lord, right? The one thing that we ought to do when fear and anxiety come upon us is pray. And he notes also there in verse 4, um, he says, um, uh, uh, that he uh, he says he behold the beauty of the Lord, and he also says that he meditates in his temple. 
let me look at here. Verse 4 says, One thing that I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Keeping his heart and mind focused on the one who was able to do something about what he had no control over. Right? I mean, I, I heard a good practical lesson one time in regards to, you know, uh, prayer and action. Um, and it's, and, in, and one of my professors said one time, he says, he says, he says, you, please understand what I'm going to tell you. He says, but he says, live as though everything depended upon you in one sense, but pray as though everything depended upon God. Okay. And what he meant by that was um, you need to do everything you can do within your God-given ability and power that God has called you to do. Okay? And don't excuse yourself from what God has called you to do. Because sometimes, you know, Christians say, well, you know, we're confronted with something and we say, well, let me just pray about that. Because we have a fear and anxiety about it and we don't know. We're unsure about it. It's not comfortable. And sometimes we excuse ourselves by saying such things. And we don't do what we should. Right? And sometimes we know that we should, while it's great to be on your knees before the Lord, in a sense, always, but we need at times to get off our knees and go do what God has called us to do and not allow those to be excuses. And one of the things that David is doing here, he says, I'm meditating upon the Lord and his goodness, his ability, his providence, his everything. He's the one that can go to to solve my problems that I can't handle, that go beyond my abilities, that are out of my control. Where my anxiety and fears are, he's already there and in control of it. So whom shall I dread and whom shall I fear? And I meditate upon him and spend time with him. How many times have I seen Christians, when they get in a position of crisis and trouble, what do they do? They turn away. They go about their own path, trying to figure it out on their own, and they get away from the Lord. The very thing that they should not be doing, that's what they do. Because we should be like David, coming back to the Lord and spending as much time and effort as we possibly can to meditate upon what God, who he is, what he is going to do, and how he's going to act. And say, Lord, I don't know. I have these fears, I have these anxiety about things in my life, but I am relying upon you. I cast my cares upon you. Remember Peter? He said the very thing. He says, cast what? All your cares upon the Lord. Because why? Because he cares for you. Um, I was just thinking of, uh, and it's funny, interesting, I always like it when when we look at it. Uh, turn over your Bibles for a second to Isaiah 43 that we just that Art just read earlier. He read verses 18 and 19. But it's funny because I was looking at this in relation to this chapter, in relation to this this week. But I want you to look at the first uh, few verses. And uh, Isaiah 43 says, But now thus saith the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Okay? Think about that for a second. Think of verses like, you know, that God knows the very number of hairs on your head, stuff like that. Shows how well and how intimate God cares and loves you, right? And so when you find yourself gripped with fear and anxiety of the unknown, stop and think about things like this and realize that there is the one who is in control of everything, who made you, who formed you, who knew you from before you ever had a day. And he cares and he loves you. And he's watching out for you. 
And he goes on, verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. There's a good passage. God has not promised to keep us from trouble, but he has promised to be with us through it. Right? And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Listen to this next uh, verse. Because why? Because you are precious in my sight. Right? Now he's talking about Israel, but we can relate that to ourselves because that's the way he speaks in other places about those who are in his hand. You know, John John 10 talks about, you know, us being in the, his and the Father's hands and that no one is able to take them out. There's no one that comes close to their power. Um, and I think of passages, I think, in Habakkuk where um, God says um, that, that Israel is the apple of his eye, you know, and the connotation is there is if you could get close enough to someone to see the pupil, what would you see? If you looked in the eye of God, you would see his beloved, his chosen, the one whom he loved. You might say in this sense, he might you see you. Because we are, in essence, uh, in that description, the apple of his eye. And he goes on, because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And what? This is verse 4 of Isaiah 43. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Pretty straightforward, right? But sometimes we need to see that. You want to see an instance where the God's saying that he loves you, that he cares about you? Now he's talking about Israel, yes, you could say, but if you can relate this to yourself. And he goes on, he says, I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. And then verse 5, he says, fear not. Why? For I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. If you look back in Psalm 27, you see David, he not only goes to the Lord in prayer, he has this vision of, of God that, that, that is consuming his mind. He meditates upon uh, God and spends time with him. But in verse 5 of Psalm 27, he says, In the day of trouble he will conceal me, hide me, lift me. He has God's protection and he knows it. And he's calling upon that, you know, and he's saying that back to God. Hide me, conceal me, protect me. Because there are things that happen that are beyond my control. And how many of us have things in our life that are beyond our control? You know, we talked about it last week and stuff. We, you, you find out real quick, especially as you grow older, there's more and more in life that you don't have control over. Right? And if you're not careful, fear and anxiety will creep into your life and just take hold of it to the point that that dominates your thinking. And you become a negative person, you become pessimistic, you become anxious, and, and you stress over what you don't know, what might be, what might, the what ifs of life. And as someone once said, you begin to live a hypothetical life. To which if you ask them, <laughs> he jokingly said, somebody asked this, well, what if, what if? And he says, you're, you're talking in the hypothetical. If you want a hypothetical question, I'm going to give you a hypothetical answer. You know, if you're going to live in that mentality, you know, what, let you, what do you let dominate your life? But you also see in Psalms 27, in verse 6, one of the things he says, he says, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. This is reiterated in the New Testament. But it is true of a life that is in, in good fellowship, a right fellowship with the Lord, is that there will be a kind of a melody, a song in the heart uh, of the believer. If they're walking in, in, filled with the Spirit in obedience to Christ, there will be a ability to sing. I mean, think about that for a second. If you're upset or angry or 
um, pessimistic or anxious about things, the last thing you want to do is sing, right? But this says here, David says, I will sing and make melody to the Lord, um, to which I was thinking about the Indian uh, guy one time that had come to the Lord, East Indian guy that I'd seen that somebody had asked him, you know, how do you know God exists? And he says, um, he says, well, he says, there's a part of me that's always talking with him. And um, it's similar to having a song in your heart that there is something that, that the joy and peace uh, that surpasses all understanding that is fills your heart and mind to the, to the point where you're in communion with God. There is a sense in which you feel a song in your heart, so to speak. Um, and David talks about this in Psalms 27. And then he says in verses 13 and 14 of Psalms 27, he talks about a rest. And <clears throat> he says, uh, he says I, I believe that I shall look upon the uh, goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Because he believed in the Lord, he knew that, that God could handle what he couldn't. He gave, cast his care, his anxiety upon the Lord and says, I will wait for your answer, whatever that may be. I would dare say, if we're honest, that a lot of times we've looked back on our life and we haven't been very patient with God. Because why? Because often when trouble and trials come and the anxiety grips our hearts and minds, we want what? I want it now. Right? Like my father used to say, be careful about praying for patience. You know, the guy says, I want patience and I want it right now. You know? He says, because what you're doing is you're asking God to bring about trials and troubles into your life um, to teach you patience. But he lets his heart take courage. He has a determination because he waits for the Lord. And he says, he says, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Could it be that a cold overcast obscures your horizons right now? I'll tell you what. Take a seat and let's just relax for a second. Okay? So let's look at a little bit of what, what the Bible says about anxiety and how to overcome, un, come, overcome anxiety. There is someone who once called in um, to radio program, and this was what she said. She says in regards to her anxiety, she says, Last month, I thought I was having a heart attack. My pulse was racing, my palms were sweating, and I started breathing heavily as if I was going to pass out. I went to the hospital and they said my heart was fine. What I had experienced was a panic attack. Now I have anxiety episodes almost every day. I wake up at night fretting about my job or my life. When I have these episodes, I keep thinking that I might have a heart attack for, the, for real this time. What can I do to gain control of my mind and emotions? Well, Let's give you some, besides Psalms 27, I want to give you some active steps to help control your anxiety. And there's four steps I'm going to mention. The first step is in the spiritual realm. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, he says, and I want you to turn to your, in your Bibles to that because there's more than what I've got listed here that I want to read. Philippians chapter 4. In verse 6, starting in verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing. I, I, I really could just stay on that statement. You really need to give yourself some time to think about what all that entails. Okay? What does it mean to be anxious? And what does it mean to be anxious for nothing? And then is, what am I not 
being obedient in that reference about. Because there are things in your life, I guarantee you, we're humans, we have our, our weaknesses and stuff, and there are things that you have allowed to creep into your life that you're anxious about, that you're worried about. It might be right now you're sitting here thinking about something else that's going on later today or tomorrow or this week, and you're not listening to me, like I said last week, <laughs> because of your anxiety about it, the unknown of what might happen. But Paul says, inspired by God, to write, be anxious for no nothing, but what? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Take it to the Lord what you don't have control over. Do everything that is within your power that God has called you to do. But then what you don't, take that to the Lord. Okay? And don't let yourself be a person that is gripped with anxiety to the point that you can't function. Because that's not the way God has designed us to be. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's to which you have, um, you have some of our, our uh, early church fathers, I think of Polycarp and stuff, when he was burned alive. Uh, for his belief, you know, he was 86 years old, and they, you know, said, "Aren't you, aren't you afraid of, of death and what's going to happen? You know, you know, how would God let you get to this point?" And he says, "80 and six years I have served the Lord." He says, "How now can I betray that trust and that faith that I have in Him? Something that I affect." But and he went to went to the uh, stake and uh, willingly. And they burned him alive for his belief, persecuted because of it to the point of death. But it did not stop him. Why? Because he had a peace from God which surpassed all understanding. Now, hopefully we never get to that point that God puts us in that position. But I would hope that if you do, that we have that peace that passes all understanding. The spiritual part of the solution is to draw near to the divine source of peace through prayer and thanksgiving. Imagine yourself joining together with Jesus, locking arms with him and stepping forward in his strength. It's a good prayer technique. Prayer places us in a position of dependence upon God. Through prayer, you acknowledge what? That you are not your own. Okay? That you are not your own. I mean, sometimes we take a responsibility upon ourselves that God has not given us, right? And there, I, I love the passage about um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, I believe it is, uh, I think it's verse 18 to 20, where he basically says, he says, yeah, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, right? What Christ did on the cross, and we belong to him. So some of the things that I worry about are things that belong to God in the first place, right? And I am concerned about things in my life that I should be going to him and saying, Lord, I'm going to give this to you because this is something that I that's beyond my control. You handle it. You give me the patience. You give me the faith. You give me the strength, the courage to do with what I, what I need to do. But I'm going to trust you. By completely surrendering to God, you can have peace because God is on the throne of your life and he is in charge of the things that you cannot control. There is a source of anxiety there that we often allow to creep into our life that should not be if we have completely surrendered our life to God. But one other important component of these verses is easily looked in this. And that is when you see where it says, but in prayer, but in, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? With thanksgiving. Paul makes this statement with thanksgiving. Think about this for a second. I, I challenge you to do this. Become a thankful person. Begin to pray, not only, Lord, help me get this, you know, off my back or whatever, or help me with this situation. 
but start to thank the Lord for all the things he has done, for who he is. Remember the Lord's Prayer and how it started. But thank God that he will never leave you. In Hebrews 13.5, it mentions that. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says that he will never allow anything to occur to us that we are not able to bear. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says that his grace is sufficient when we're weak. Okay? In Psalms 13, it says that his love for you never ends. His love for you never ends. I love that passage in Romans 5 8. It says, But God commandeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for me to get it right, because I never would. Right? Before he did what he did to redeem all humanity. Thank him for that his love never ends. Thank him every day that every day of your life is in his hands. And that's taken from Psalms 139. Every day of your life is in his hands. Take a second to look at that. Psalms 139. I want you to look at that real quick. Psalm 139. Start at verse 1 here, and I'm just going to skip over a few verses maybe, but it says, Psalms 139, 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Are you listening to that? Are you reading that? Don't just let that pass over your and just let it go by. That's what God says. He says, I know what you're thinking before you think it. I know what you're going to say, what you're going to do before you do it. How foolishly sometimes we act and live as if God is not up there and out there, but doesn't pay attention to us down here and in here. Okay? And he says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, it is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light uh, about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. And going along with this Sunday, which is Sanctity of Life Sunday, I believe, third, third Sunday in January, says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in, in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. You see that? Are you listening to that? God knows everything about you before it happens. Right? So when I look at my life and I see anxiety and fear coming into it, what is it telling me? It's telling me one thing, that I am not trusting the Lord. I am not seeking him. I am not relying upon him if I'm allowing fear and anxiety to take and grip my life to the point that I cannot function. I'm not focusing on what I should be. And one of the things that Paul says back in Philippians 4 is that we need to be focused on him and have go to him in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanking him for all that he is and all that he has done and continues to do, even to the point of our own eternal life. I look at 1 John 5, talks about uh, thanking him 
um, without any doubt that we have eternal life. And I thought of uh, one of my favorite passages uh, is um, Hebrews 6.20. And Hebrews 6.20 says basically that Jesus is our forerunner. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, like when you were a kid or something and you competed in some kind of race or competition or something, um, and you were not sure how things were going to work out, you know, and the uncertainty of would you be able to, you know, run fast enough to win or not. And uh, I remember doing this when I was when I was younger, and and I thought of this verse when I saw that Jesus is our forerunner. It's as if he's saying to us, I've already crossed the finish line. I've went over every path and every step that you're going to take in your life. I know the beginning from the end before you even say it or do it, right? I know your days, and it's simply you being faithful and obedient and trusting me and walking the path in which I have chosen for you. Not letting the fear and anxiety grip you to the point that you can't run the race that we're called to run, right? Um, Paul talks about running the race and how we're on, how we're supposed to do it. But we need to thank him for all those things and more. Thank him again and again, and you will find over time, make a pattern of it, make a habit of being thankful in your prayer life, going to him with everything, being anxious for nothing, and taking your anxieties, your fears, going with the Lord, but also with a heart of thanksgiving. And if you make a pattern of this, you'll find that your fear will be replaced with the incredible peace of God. By the way, don't wait for a panic attack to take over before you start praying. Okay? Think of prayer and meditation as the preventative cure. Okay? Make it part of your life on a regular basis before you go into this. It's like the story of saying uh, character is not made in a crisis. It is, it is exhibited. You either have it when you go into it or you don't. Okay? And if you are a person who is faithfully following the Lord and in prayer and, 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 and relying upon the Lord and being an obedient child of God as you ought to be, then when you get into these points where I could have anxiety and panic striking my heart and mind, what will I do? I will trust. I will not dread. I will not fear. As David said in Psalms 27. Now, there is a physical component, a second step uh, in some cases that, you know, for, for anxiety that, that sometimes medication is required. And I will leave that for, for another discussion, but I want to focus on the spiritual portion and the mental aspect and the emotional aspect and the primary, because the third point here is that you must consider the mental aspect. Compile some verses. This is good to have, and this is why I always say I, I should be able to pick up any of, if I was like a teacher and you were the student, I should be able to pick up your Bible, open it up, and I should see verses underlined and highlighted and marked notations along the side. That should be in your Bible, okay? Because that tells me that you're diligently studying, that you're faithfully following. If the pages are kind of stuck together and it's all clear and there's nothing there, then I'm afraid we do what uh, one of my professors used to say. Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. He says, Unfortunately, many Christians should reinterpret that to say, Thy word have I hid on my shelf that I might sin against God. Because we don't open it. If you come to church and the only time you open your Bible is when we're here, then you are going to be a person that's going to be struck with panic, anxiety, fear, and to the point that it's going to be crippling to you. But compile some verses to reassure yourself during fearful times and read them out loud as often as you possibly can. Take some time to meditate on the truths they uh, present. God's word holds great power, and you'll find yourself gaining strength as you regularly read through the scriptures. That's why every time where I've ever taught or led any type of, of, of class or preached, whatever it may be, is when I read the scripture, please, 
pay attention to what you're reading. Don't just let it go, look up, and then I can't remember what was just said. Okay? Take the time to look because God is speaking to you and it's why the scripture is so alive when I read it. I can just feel God's spirit speaking through it because it is a living word. It's not just any book that has words on a page. This is life, and not only this life, but the life to come. And so as you regularly read through these scriptures, Billy Graham once said, the Bible is not an option, it is a necessity. This is especially true in times of despair that can lead to anxiety and fear. There are a few, uh, there are a few of many Bible verses to refer to for peace and comfort. I want to read through a little bit. You might just write these down, the notation, the, the references down. You don't have to write the verses, but just the references. Hebrews 13, 6 says, We can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which we says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and what? And delivered me from all my fears. Okay. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. See, if you have anxiety and fear in your life, it's telling me one thing, that your hope is not in God, not where it should be. Then Matthew 6.34 says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Right? You can be so caught up with what might happen tomorrow or next week. And I guarantee you, it's easy to do. I've done it myself. Sitting where you're sitting, looking up, Letting the pastor, I know he's saying something, but I couldn't tell you what he's saying, right? Because I'm thinking about what I've got to go through this week and the fear and the uncertainty that I don't know what might happen, right? And I, I think about tomorrow and I worry about it. And that's not good. God says, don't do that. You're adding unnecessary stress and, and anxiety upon your life that doesn't need to be there. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, Paul Paul should have been a boxer, you know, uh, because he's just like, he's rocky. He's just getting back up every time. He gets knocked down, you know, he gets back up. You know, nothing's going to keep him down. Why? Because he had his focus where it should be. And he knew that there was something that God had called him to do, and nothing and no one was going to keep him from doing that. We have Psalms 23, 1-6, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. I think about that myself. If I just sent my son down and I took him down Friday, Friday, um, uh, Thursday night, he's down with my wife in Ridgecrest, and he's going to be down there until I get down there and stuff and everything. And the separation anxiety, you know, that he has, kind of, and he cries for me at night because we've always been together since he can remember. And uh, I think about that in relationship to you know, how we are with the Lord. How do we feel, you know, because I know the Lord is with me, I fear no evil. You know, um, my Heavenly Father, and I try to be there for Him as much as I possibly can and stuff, and we talk, but but I think of things like this. He says, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Um, the great Donald Barnhouse, uh, he was an illustrator, I don't know if you've ever listened to him, but he one time was driving somewhere and uh, and his he had been preaching on sin, death, and stuff and everything. And, and his daughter 
in the car with him and asking, Daddy, what, what does that mean? You know, uh, how do we understand, you know, this shadow of death and everything and stuff? And all of a sudden, this truck passes by, and uh, and it's just like, you know, sun's this way, and truck passes by, and shadow of truck goes over him and stuff, and he says, you see that truck that just passed by? He said, that's like death going upon Christ that he took upon himself. He took what we deserve, and he died the death that we deserve. But it's only the shadow of death that comes over us. Why? Because he's with us. He's protecting us from that, right? And I have no reason to fear because he's with me. He says, I fear no evil for you with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. First Peter 5, 5-7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Doing what? Casting all your anxieties where? On him. On him. Look at the verbiage. What is he saying? Okay. Cast all my cares, that which I have no control over. Right? That is beyond me. He says, doesn't belong to me. I need to give it to him. I need to regularly come to him. It's one reason why Paul talks about in Ephesians about walking worthy of your vocation on a daily basis. This is not something that I can come to church once a week or one particular time and I'm good. Okay? I've got this. I, I took care of that last year. Okay? That's not the case. Okay? This is something that we have to come about on a daily basis. And then I look at other passages. One of the passages that I'll mention I like is just because it does get to give us that that forerunner aspect uh, in Revelation 21, uh, verse 4. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All the things, you think about all the things that you worry about. They're what? They're in this life. Right? What does he say? He said, there will come a day where he will wipe away all that. Right? Then I'll make it all right. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more suffering. You know, I think of my dear mother that passed away now 11 years ago. And, uh, and, and it makes all the difference in the world knowing that she is not suffering that she is not going through these hard times that she went through in this life. Most of the anxiety we feel is related to what's called irrational fears or misbeliefs, the fear of the unknown, the anxiety. By focusing on what is rational and true, you can learn to manage your fears. And the fourth point, final point, is the emotional component must be recognized. Ironically, many people forget to consider their emotions when battling fear. They think it's all in my mind. But fears may be linked to feelings of resentment or abandonment that could go far back as childhood. Many times, fears results, uh, fear results from having unresolved pain or emotional issues buried so deep that when they finally surface, they mask themselves in the form of anxiety. The, the key, along with learning to manage your anxiety, is to go beneath the surface to find out what caused your anxiety in the first place. And often several layers must be peeled away before you discover the real issue. Your anxiety is real and the pain is deep. Wanting relief from those symptoms is normal. Yet instead of thinking of your anxiety as something to avoid, think of it as something that has value in your life. Think of it as a kind of pain a pregnant woman experiences when she goes into labor. When her contractions begin, she usually fights and struggles against them, tensing up and trying to make them go away. But at some point, she realizes that her pain has value. Her baby can't be born without it. So instead of fighting it, she accepts the pain and learns to manage it and use it to produce a precious new life. Emotional pain can produce something of great value. It serves a purpose in your life. Usually that purpose has to do with some precious truth about God 
that he wants to reveal to you. Don't run away or hide from the pain. Accept it, manage it, and use it for your benefit to grow closer to the Lord than ever before. Billy Graham said, Anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and his will for us. Did you hear that? Anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and his will for us. Billy Graham, Billy Graham wrote those words in 1965. No one knew how true they would be many, many, many years later. At its best, anxiety distracts us from our relationship with God and the, and the truth that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. At its worst, anxiety is a crippling disease that takes over our minds and plunges us into a darkness. But God wants so much more for you than to walk through life full of fear and anxiety. The first step is to an anxiety-free mind is to give your life to Christ. If you don't know the Lord, that's your first step. Once you've taken that step, it's important to fix your thoughts on Jesus and promise that he is preparing a place uh, for his followers. We talked about that in John chapter 14, uh, where he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Don't be anxious about anything. Our instructions don't stop there, though. The chapter goes on in Philippians 4 to tell us exactly what we should focus on. And this is what I'll finish with. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any thing worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and God of peace will be with you. Let's sing.